0: You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Exodus 24, verses 9 through 11. I want to preach to you this morning a message that I've entitled simply, The Table the table. If God showed up right now, I'd give him a piece of my mind. I'd get in his face and I'd tell him. You can just imagine the rest. I'm not going to fill in that blank. Our hearts are ultimately longing to be satisfied with a face-to-face conversation with God. On the famous Inside the Actors Studio, James Lipton always closed his questionnaire portion of the interview with this question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates? And one of the most common uh, uh, answers given by the actors and actresses was simply, come on in. Come on in. We long to have this face-to-face conversation with God. Some of us come with criticism and complaints. Some of us come with gratitude and thanksgiving. Some of us want to hear God give a reason for why the world is, and some of us just want to hear Him say, well done. But all of us want that opportunity, I think, deep down in our hearts and our souls to look at God and see Him face-to-face. And in Exodus chapter 24, we're introduced to a scene that nothing is approaching a parallel on all the pages of the rest of Scripture. See, in the book of Exodus, God has just delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt through many awesome signs and wonders. The ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, and Exodus 19, God comes down on Mount Sinai and proposes a covenant with the people of Israel. God tells the people of Israel that He would bless their obedience to His commands, but that He would also punish them for their disobedience to His commands. This is all in Exodus 19. And the people heartily agreed. They say, all that you say, we will do. And they even repeat it, all that you say we will do. And so they enter into a covenant with God. And after they respond to God's word, after he invites them to this close national relationship with him, God manifested himself on the summit of Mount Sanaa and spoke to their go-between a man named Moses. And God charged Moses to go again and warn the people of Israel not to break through the base of the mountain to see the Lord or they would die. Just listen to what Exodus 20, 18 through 19 says. Just listen to it. All the people, the nation of Israel, witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain surrounded by smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And listen to what they told Moses. You speak to us, Moses, and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us or we will die. Imagine that having that kind of encounter with the living God. He manifests His visible presence on Sinai. He begins to speak out the Ten Commandments, the terms of their covenant. And after the people hear Him speak, they go, we prefer to hear a preacher. Don't let Him speak to us again. Please. You go find out what He wants to say and you relay that to us. Then we move to Exodus 24. Moses goes up to the mount and starts receiving the commands. And in Exodus 24, verse 1, you can look up there at the top. It says, then God said to Moses, go up to the Lord, that's Yahweh, the God of Israel, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders, and bow in worship at a.'" Distance. Still notice this. There is separation. There is a chasm between the people who are now entered into covenant with God. They have a relationship with God, but there's still a respectful distance. You don't get too close, or something bad might happen. These 70 elders are the representatives of the people, and they're commanded to come, but to come and worship in a distance. They're excluded from the special privileges that Moses has of hearing God's voice and seeing God and going back to the people. Like the Israelites of Exodus 24, you and I are separated by a great distance between ourselves and God. And what does that do to? The Bible answers over and over again, that is due to our disobedience to God's commands. It's due to our sin that is separated and put distance between ourselves and God. God is a holy God. There is no one like Him. He is absolutely morally perfect. And we as His creatures who were once made in His image are fallen... And we've sinned against Him over and over again. We continue to endorse our great-grandfather's decision, Adam, back in the garden, to rebel against the living God. And you and I just can't haphazardly rush into the presence of God. And actually, the Ten Commandments help us see the great divide and the great distance between ourselves. Just listen to what the God of Israel told the people of Israel. Just listen to some of the commands. Remember, Exodus 20, verse 3 says, Do not have any other gods besides me. Now, we may not worship Baal or Molech or wooden or silver idols, but there's things in our own life that we put before God. God must come first. We must seek His righteousness and His kingdom, not just our selfish desires, whether good or bad. God's the prism by which we look at our lives. And so, as we seek other things other than God, that puts us at a distance from Him. And Exodus 20, verse 7, God says this, Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses His name. Do you see that even a simple neglect... Of how we honor God's sacred name with our tongue and our lips can put us under the condemnation just by a simple mishap with our lips. In Exodus 20, verse 12, God says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that your, Lord, your God is giving you. It should go without saying that the inverse must be true that disobedience shortens the life. It's a part of God's intrinsic moral order in the world. He's established parents as an authority. And when we disobey our parents, God sees it as you're disobeying me. He gave you to them. And in Exodus 20, 16 through 17, God tells them, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Don't law. And then notice this, do not covet. Don't have an evil desire or a greed toward your neighbor's house your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, just notice this in your heart. If you have an evil desire or a greedy desire for something that's not yours, that's not what I want for my people. It would be easy to go through all the Ten Commandments, and every single one of us, we would all see, especially the way Jesus applies them to our life that all of us are sinners separated from God and we deserve the punishment of that covenant at Sana'a. We deserve death. We deserve to be kept at a distance. We deserve to be separated from the land of the living and from the living God. Is there any hope? Is there any chance that you and I just might get to go up to God and see Him face to face? Look at Exodus 24, verses 9 through 11. Exodus 24, verses 9 through 11. Notice what happens here. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders, and they saw God. And they saw God. The God of Israel, beneath his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, As clear as the sky itself, God did not harm him. God didn't, I like how some of the other translations, God didn't stretch out his hand. God didn't put his hands on them. He didn't get rough with them. He didn't show a glorious display of his mighty matter, not mighty power. He held, he, he held that back. And notice what God went on to do. They saw him and they ate and drank with him. Now, can you catch this? Moments earlier, God tells them, stay at a distance. Don't you come close to me. I might have to put my Hands on you. And then we get here into this text, and God says, would you like anything to eat or drink? What's the change? What's the significance? First, I want to just look at this vision that they have of God. It says they saw God, not just Moses, not just Aaron, who would be the high priest, not just Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, but these leaders, these representatives of Israel, the common man, so to speak, got to go up to the Mount of Sinai and see God. And I find it amazing that they were fascinated with what? The floor. They come back down, and all they could talk about is the floor. Now, three things must have happened. It's got to be one of these three. Either when they entered Sinai, they got around the crag of the mountain, and they looked, they saw God high and lifted up. And that from all they could tell to the best of their ability is they walked under the floor or the footstool of God. And he says it was a tile floor. Could you imagine? the It was a tile floor made of blue sapphire that was brilliant and blue and clear as the sky. It sparkled like ice and we could see God walking around. They looked up and saw him. Or... They turned the crag of that mountain and as soon as they got a glimpse of the glory of God, they hit their face. And they tried to lift their gaze and behold the glory. And all they could say is just, we looked at Him, but we saw the floor. (laughs) Or maybe, just maybe, they did walk that corner, turn around that crag and behold God and they saw everything and when they went to go relay it back to the people, They said, Look, hey, God is beyond telling, but we can tell you something about the floor. I want you to notice this. Either way, when we get a glimpse of God, people get real acquainted with the floor. They get on their hands and their feet, they come humbly. You can't just walk arrogantly into the presence of God. Even when He goes, Tell them to come on up. Isn't that amazing? And I want you to think about it in terms of this today, ladies and gentlemen. God's provided a table for you and I today to eat and drink. And I want you to know we have access to this table, but we, should, we better do some evaluating of ourselves before we just rush into the presence of the Lord to eat and drink with them. I think one of the best things you and I can do is to be at the altar on our hands and knees going, God, you're God and I'm not. You're beyond telling I can't even describe everything that you're worth and what all you've done to me. I'm a sinner. I'm a wretch. I'm a worm. But I know that you love me. And you tell me to come on. And we come on. But you notice the approach is humble. We come on the floor even when we're invited. But notice the privilege that he gives them. He doesn't put his hands on him. Even when they're groveling in the floor, satisfied to be on the floor in the presence of God. God doesn't strike them dead. He could have done it. He could have made it torture. He could have tormented them. And instead, what does God do? He offers them a fellowship meal. Would you like anything to eat or drink? On the floor, there's, that'd be nice. And instead of of feeling the condemnation and the judgment, instead, what does God do? He doesn't kill them. He refreshes them. He gives them refreshment. Instead of just preserving their lives, He goes a step further and He renews their vigor and increases their joy. And I'm going to tell you this, church, He's going to do the same thing for us today. While we recognize our sin, ultimately, we're here to show we have the victory. We have a relationship with God. And this experience of coming to the table with God should increase our vigor, our spiritual vitality, and it should increase our joy that we're going to sit down in the presence of God. But why? Why could they do this? What happened? From the beginning of the chapter, or the beginning of Exodus, to make the difference in chapter twenty-four, verses nine through eleven, that they would come so boldly to go see God. Can we read verses three through eight? Just look at this. This is what Moses came back from, back down from the mountain to tell the people. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice, We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Then he sent out young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in basins. The other half of the blood, he splattered on the altar. He took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, We will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. And then notice this. Moses took the blood, splattered it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant. That the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. The sprinkling of the animal blood stands for two things here in Exodus 24. The first thing is, is that it stands for the punishment of disobeying God's word. When we disobey God's word and sin or trespass his laws and boundaries, what is the punishment? Death. The shedding of blood. That's what is to be expected when we disobey God. But you notice the grace in the passage? In this instance, he doesn't go and kill people. He kills who? What's being killed? Animals. Bulls, goats, lambs will find out that God in his grace offers a substitutionary sacrifice. He offers a substitute for their disobedience. Yes, you should be the one, but you go and you take this animal and this animal can die in your place and the penalty and punishment for your disobedience will be considered meted out. It'll be met. Your sin debt will be paid and you can enjoy fellowship with God. Listen, the blood reserves the table. The blood reserves Reserves the table. The elders climbed that mountain. There's one other thing you need to put into your mind. As they climbed that mountain, they turned around that crag to see God. I want you to notice what God saw on them blood. The blood was sprinkled on them from head to toe. The reason they were allowed in the presence of God to enjoy Him was that God looked down on them and saw the blood. That the penalty for their sin, the distance could be come together, could be made whole because an animal took their place. The blood transitioned them from terror into friendship with God. I like what Sir Robert Anderson said, but yesterday, this is in reference to the people of Israel, just 24 hours ago, it would have been death to them to break through to gaze. But now... They saw God. And such was their boldness due to the blood of the covenant that they did eat and drink in the divine presence. Their boldness to go and see God was all because of the blood of those animals that had paid the penalty for their sin. How can an animal make us right with an infinitely holy God? And this is why we have to have the whole Bible to see the picture of this is those animals represented the shed blood of the eternal Son of God. That those animals were a down payment of what God would ultimately do to satisfy His righteous demands. That 2,000 years ago for us, it would be 2,000 years forward for them. They look forward in faith. We look back in faith. And we see the Son of God, Jesus Christ, coming to this earth in love, living a, sin, a sinless, perfect life, and then shedding His blood on the cross for our sin. Think of it this way. If you have a dollar bill, that dollar bill actually isn't worth a dollar. They say it takes about five cents to make a dollar bill. But it's what it represents that makes it a value. And it's the same thing with that animal. Those animals didn't have infinitely holy righteousness to make them right. But what do they represent? The eternal Son of God who condescended, who humbled Himself and died on the cross in love for your sin. And when the, when the Lord God of Israel saw the blood, He thought of His Son and said, Come on in. Come on in. Just like the Israelites We too are separated from God by our disobedience and sin which deserves punishment and separation from God. And if we die in our sin without the prescribed sacrifice, we will be eternally kept far away from God. But God in His love and in His grace and mercy provided a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Christ, His one and only Son, And because of Jesus' shed blood, if you'll repent of your sins and trust Jesus alone as your Savior in God, your sins can be forgiven, they are cleansed, and you can be invited to the table and to friendship with God. The question is this, do you believe that Jesus' blood can save you? Do you believe it? And our faith ultimately rests on the resurrection. The reason I know that Jesus' blood is sufficient is because God raised Jesus from the dead and said, preach the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, that everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, they shall be saved. And when we embrace Jesus as our Savior and God, Jesus comes us, bids us to come and don with Him. Not only here in this age of the church, but forever in heaven when we're reunited with Him. The blood has also reserved our place at the table. At this table and the heavenly banquet. When we sit down to feast at this banquet, what we're about to have, all of us are saying, those who partake, you're saying, You believe Jesus' blood has forgiven you and that you're a friend of God. That's how you can know. Can you say that? I believe Jesus' blood has forgiven me and I'm a friend of God. If you can, then you're welcome to sit down and dine at this table with us. And if not, if you go, I haven't trusted Jesus as my Savior and God. I've not turned from my sins and embraced Jesus. Then I want you to know this. Everyone is welcome to this table if you'll turn from your sins and trust Christ as your Savior. Why? Because only a blood-covered people can enjoy the presence of God. The blood reserves the table. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemeris.com.